everybody. You are listening to Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. I'm your host, Christian Serge. And as always, with us, our co-host, the Reverend Johnny Morrison. Hey, everybody. Each week and now for the next 23 minutes, we're going to have a conversation about culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. The Reverend Johnny Morrison. I don't get called that very often, you know? It's kind of fun. Does anybody call you a reverend besides me? That's what I want to know. Um, no, I think it's just you. I think it's just you. Every once in a while, somebody will use one of those honorifics when they're like not familiar with me or like Missio, and they'll show up and they'll be like, uh, um, um, pastor, reverend, uh, uh, you know, and I'm always like, just Johnny. Um, <laughs> I think that's the way that I asked you. And you said, just, you can call me Johnny. Just Johnny. Yeah. Asshole, dirtbag. Any of those would be appropriate honorifics as well. I have yet to see you uh, be an asshole or or feel that wrath. So I hope that that never comes because <laughs> well, if, I appreciate it's, that. <laughs> if it's any example of how, you know, awesome you are or like how just smart you are, I don't know if I'd want to say that. It could be pretty bad is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> if the pendulum swings. Well, I appreciate that because you, you, we, you and I have known each other for quite a while now. So I do. I appreciate that because I feel like you've seen me at good moments and bad moments. So. Well, speaking of good moments and bad moments, I know Uh-oh. that everybody's talking about this. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought maybe we shouldn't talk about this, but I just got to say the debates. Yeah. Ugh. Yes. Oh, man, man. Did you watch it with your your wife and in your home last night? Or I guess not this is Monday, but when they aired? Yeah. So my son, his history class, this guy by the name of Mr. Miller, he is quite something and i really like him he's really funny but he made them watch it and take notes mm. so my son is frantically right trying to write what trump is saying <laughs> in his points <laughs> and at one point he just looks up and he goes dad uh, 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 what do you say and i go nothing and probably something racist and he's like okay <laughs> there's no down. notes to be taken here <laughs> i don't know what did um did anything stand out to you about the debate Yeah. You know, I think when the debates happen, typically Americans already have their mind made up. Hmm. And so as I watched it, I think what stood out was generally I expected Trump to just be a complete maniac. And he Mm -hmm. did. He did not disappoint. He never does what he says he does. He always lies. If you fact check him, you know, even the sheriff of Portland after came out and said, I never support him and I mm-hmm. won't support him. Right. He tweeted that like soon after and President Trump was like, you know, Portland sheriff supports me. So I noticed some of these bigger things like I felt like Biden really tried hard to have poise mm-hmm. and and then he stood up for his son in a mm-hmm. very calm, cool way, a way that I don't have. I mm. probably would have walked over there and hit him, punched Trump mm-hmm. or anyone, not just Trump. I, if it was anyone, because I, I'm really loyal, fiercely loyal to my friends and people mm-hmm. I consider family. And so I thought it was great when he said, hey, my son, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he was, he was addicted to cocaine, cocaine and he got over it Yeah, and he's better and I'm proud of him. I think that was the thing. So that, yep. that overall poise I noticed of Biden, uh, the maniac I call Trump, I just... I have no good words. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. I, yeah, 
the overall the debate was rough i don't know that anybody won it in clear terms um i don't know that biden did a great job trump was yeah exactly a maniac but i do think the shining moment of the debate is when biden stood up for his son hunter and i and i think it was such a beautiful moment such a fatherly moment for Mm. the way biden did it which was like you know he'd been talking about Bo, and obviously Bo is an amazing person who he lost to early, and so that's easy to be mourned. And then Trump went after Hunter, and I, just the way that Biden handled that felt so real, like so decent and human mm-hmm. to say, like I'm proud of my son, and you're not going to change that or shake that. I, I thought, yeah, it, it's definitely the most beautiful moment of the of the night that was not beautiful and was just a garbage fire overall. You know, I'm not going to lie. Every time Trump speaks, I look for a shred of decency, a mm. shred of restraint, a shred of poise or couth. He wanted to kick Chris Matthews out or Chris, whoever that was, mm-hmm. the Fox Chris Wallace, cor- Chris Wallace uh, that Fox correspondent out. But, you know, like that was his, the doorway and he didn't like it. You could tell he did not like that. He wanted to say everything he wanted to say. So I yeah. always look for a shred of something because I like people in general and he's mm-hmm. a really hard guy to like for me. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other moment that I thought was so strange, like lots of people have talked about, and I, I think we don't need to add anything to this, but Trump's failure to denounce white supremacy and to tell the yeah. Proud Boys to stand back and stand by, which is a crazy moment. But another moment that I thought was wild was when Trump was like talking about Biden, like, don't bring up smart with me. And then reference to the university that Biden went to. And he was like, you're not so smart. You went to, you said you went to Delaware state. And I was like, what a weird <laughs> thing to get so sensitive about being called smart. Like it feels like a person who is deeply insecure about being intelligent, losing their mind when someone is like, you're not very smart. He's like, don't you ever say that to me again? It is weird. That was one of the weirdest things I've ever watched on like live television. That was truly a kindergartner fight. Like, yeah, totally. my, like my dad is stronger than your dad. He'll beat you up. <laughs> yeah, it's so brutal, man. No, my dad's Ugh. stronger than your dad. No, my dad's stronger than your dad. No. Uh, well, you're not smart because you, you oh, the tactics were incredibly uh, disappointing. And I think the heart of each candidate came through very clearly, mm. whether or not you agree with the words or not, or whether you want to make fun of Biden for stuttering, whether you want to make fun of him for his policy, whether you want to make fun of his 47 years or 47 minutes of things that he's done for this country, good or bad. Mm-hmm. I think the heart stood out and that gave me a shred of, of hope, I guess, for Biden. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this really pointed me towards one big issue. And I and this is the question that I have, and it, it's also the article that I want to talk about today mm-hmm. um, in Politico. Such a smooth segue. (laughs) I didn't even practice that. That just like came out. It was perfect. In Politico, it talks about the Republicans, some of the Republicans coming out and saying, Trump, you need to condemn white supremacy. And they're doing it so softly. Hmm. And I don't want to belabor the subject because what's really big in my mind in this article is when our leaders fail us, Hmm. how do we respond Because how we respond is the mark of who we are, I suppose. Hmm. And with all this violence and this leader right now, this president full of hate and division, he has no respect for democracy. He's a supporter of hatred. 
You see all these senators doing no more than what we see in movies that portray the weak Senate of like the ancient Greeks, you know, mm -hmm. like, oh, the Senate of the Greeks and their failed democracy. And then I'm seeing Putin and who's the guy in China that, that Trump Xi loves? Jinping. Xi Jinping. They've mm -hmm. got to be laughing their heads off. They're going, mm -hmm. they got to be going, this is classic extremist, communist or fascist. This is exactly what you want to do. Good job, Trump. So with all this hatred and violence and the world leaders laughing at us, they're cheering on this hatred. How do we find hope? And where do we find it? Hmm. What a great question. I mean, I think that at some level, you have to just say, like, we can't find hope in American political leaders. Hmm. And if that's the place that you're looking, you are going to be constantly disappointed. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I, I on a personal level, am a big fan of Obama. I thought, like, he was a delightful human being. I think, like... I like him as a, I was like watching some of the playoff games last night and he was there like in the zoom crowd of the Miami Lakers game, which is fun to yeah. see him there. But like, honestly, Obama's legacy when it comes to immigration is atrocious. Obama's legacy when it comes to the use of drones on civilians mm. is atrocious. Mm. Um, he ran on hope and change and deeply disappointed those of us who believed that he might actually bring it. And I think that is true of all presidential candidates. Like, they are going to be deeply disappointing. And so if you look to them for hope at all, then you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. Fine. But why? Mm -hmm. Why can't we look to our leaders for hope? Why isn't there hope in that? We did at one point, or at least the version of history that we're taught in JFK, he gave us hope. He wanted us to put us on the moon. Why can't we <laughs> believe in our leaders? Sure. I mean, but like even JFK, like, is JFK a figure that we should have believed in or go, like, or go back to like FDR? Like is FDR a character that we should believe in? Like, well, mm. no, like FDR is the, the person who established Japanese internment camps and put thousands of American civilians into concentration camps because of deeply racist ideologies. So at every moment of American politics, our presidential leaders, especially, but this would be true of the Senate and of the house have all been deeply flawed and deeply problematic characters. Yeah, they have. <laughs> and I think that goes back to the discussion we had a few episodes ago, where when a cause gets in the hand of a political mm -hmm. leader, it mm -hmm. becomes politicized. And then mm -hmm. we start to lose truth or we start to lose facts or the other side takes that uh, that cause that the political leader is supporting and they say the opposite just to i don't know why to mm -hmm. gain another power or to i guess that's what i don't understand if you're boiling water and the and a political leader said you know what boiling water this is water is boiling and the other political leader said no it's not it's not boiling it's not it's actually ice cold and then you would have people believe in that. It just mm -hmm. feels so dumb to me sometimes. I, d I don't really mm -hmm. understand. So One of the things I was, I was just thinking about when you said that is I, I do think that in the United States, and this is probably true in other places too, but I can, I can speak mostly to it in the United States. Like we put so much emphasis on, on the capability of a singular individual to like rescue America. So like Trump is the strong man and you may hate his personality, but it's actually his like, his lack of empathy and his bullishness, which is what we need because he can save us from all the enemies or Obama is so good that he can save us from all of the enemies or Bush or Clinton or whatever, like that they can save us. And I think like you, you automatically set yourself up from failure when you put that much weight onto a single individual. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really scary when we, when we start believing 
Okay, you're turning me. I, now I now I see what you're saying. I feel really dumb now. <laughs> no, no, that's not. I think that's that's what we do. Like even even in a local level, like um, like we want a, we like we think like if a business is failing, what can we do? Oh, hire an effective CEO. A church yeah. is failing. Hire an effective lead pastor, mm. and this singular person can like quote unquote lead us into some kind of greatness. But like that comes at a cost. How much does it cost? How can we get? How do we do it? <laughs> How much does it cost, really? I think too much. Like, it's too much weight to put on one person, and it's too much. The people who pay the most are all the other voices that we actually need in the room making decisions. Because now this is a bigger conversation. This actually kind of gets us to later things and other things we've talked about. But who often is the person that gets to be in the room? Well, it's a certain kind of man normally. Mm -hmm. And what all voices are excluded? Well, it's voices of color. It's uh, voices of women. uh, It's voices of like the LGBTQIA community who are not included in that, that conversation. And we actually believe that sharing space with those people would cost the effectiveness of this like singular effective lead or whatever. I, I don't understand. I, you were trying to explain the cost to me and I heard like people <laughs> coming in and single effective cost and yeah, fair. And I didn't hear any dollar amounts. I don't, I don't have a dollar amount for you. <laughs> we in America believe that you can't have too many cooks in the kitchen. Okay. I, I know that phrase. Yeah. That's a phrase that we use a lot. Like you can't have too many cooks in the kitchen, but like when you don't have enough cooks in the kitchen, you don't make enough food for all the people. Got it. And so what is the cost that I'm stretching this metaphor pretty far, but the mm-hmm. cost is that when you don't have enough cooks of diverse background and heritage, then you don't make enough food that meets the needs of the people, which is what we've seen in America always. Yeah, nobody, not everybody wants to eat waffles for breakfast. Or It's true. I don't know boiled, why, but they don't. Or, yeah, or boiled <laughs> eggs, right? There's other foods out there. And if we only have one cook cooking one set of food, one kind of food, then yeah, everybody has to eat waffles and mm-hmm. nobody else is represented. I think that is the core of what the American dream is. The idea that we all have a voice and that our voices matter mm-hmm. and that we can elect a leader to represent us. And I Mm -hmm. think that more and more, we're not seeing that. Mm -hmm. And it's now affecting us directly. It's affecting when our doors are locked from COVID or when we can open our business. And so it's becoming, I think, strikingly clear and depressingly clear that we're maybe putting too much faith in our political leaders. Oh, yeah, totally. That's 100% right. that I wanted to talk about or the, the topic that I wanted to talk about is critical race theory and critical race theory is getting a lot of uh, media attention. Trump denounced it publicly. You might've seen recently in the news that Trump is trying to eliminate all like race sensitivity or critical race theory training from government programs, you know, and so the, it's kind of been a hot topic issue. And I even had someone today at the day of recording this text me and they'd be like, usually I should talk about critical race theory on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's kind of bubbling up and jumping to the surface and people want to talk about it. 
and it's getting a lot of media attention. So the question that I wanted to ask is what is critical race theory? Why is Trump so against it? And what should we think about critical race theory? So those are the questions I'm asking. Sometimes you hear critical race theory described as like Marxist or hateful, or sometimes it's even described as racist. So that's what I wanted to talk about. So maybe to begin with, Christian, what do you know about critical race theory? The only thing I've really ever heard about critical race theory is when Trump said, hey, in federal areas or federal buildings or federal administration, we can't teach this kind of thing anymore because it teaches people to hate America. Mm-hmm. And anything he says now, I'm like, hold on. It's probably <laughs> the opposite, right? This is, my, this is my interpretation of the article, is that critical race theory is teaching that America and the values that we now and freedoms that we now enjoy are from really pain and struggle mm. of, from all races of people. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great description of what critical race theory is, Christian. Um, in some ways, you could say that critical race theory problematizes American history. I don't like that word. <laughs> that's not even a smart word. I problematizes. That's a, that's a, that is a word that you can use oh my gosh. anytime you want. Sometimes you need to problematize something. Oh my gosh. I, I, that's five syllables. I, I use one of those only once in a while and it's on this show. I just use it. So. <laughs> but what I mean by that is that critical race theory looks at our history and it's exactly what you said. It looks at our history. It looks at the social structures of our society. It looks at like the economics, the government, the policies of our society, and it examines those things through the critical lens of race, power, um, you could have critical studies in gender too. So like critical studies of gender and how hmm. gender and race are shaping the history and the structures of society around us. So for example, critical race theory historically would talk about the development of the suburbs with looking at like the development of Levittown, which was maybe one of the first major developments of suburbs. And why mm-hmm. was Levittown developed? Oh, intentionally to segregate white families away from black families. Hmm. So that's like, that's a critical race kind of reevaluation of a history that we have been taught. And it's like, well, hold on. That history is not so simple. The suburbs are not simply the American people pursuing the American dream. Mm. It is also white Americans running away from black Americans who are moving into large cities during industrialization and Americans trying to find spaces that are fully white. Right. So that's, Ah. that's kind of critical race theory applied to history. And of course, why would Trump want to teach that? He wants to teach a uh, very heavy nationalistic pride. He wants to teach, he, he doesn't denounce white supremacy groups, right? So he likes mm-hmm. the idea. There's an interesting quote in the article. Uh, it says, the president has also declared that he is raising funds to educate people as to the quote, real history of the country, dash the real history, not the fake. I think it's really interesting. And I, I quote again, he says, Mr. Trump said he would sign an executive order to create, quote, patriotic education that mm-hmm. will teach young people to love America with all of their heart and all of their souls. Yeah. That's scary. That is scary. Oh, my gosh. Christian, when I saw that, when I, when I saw him say that for the first time, it's one of the most kind of like abrasive comments that I've seen from Trump. And he said so many crazy things, but that one feels so deeply like he's using religious language. First of all, he's using language from Jesus about how we're supposed to love God and love others and Mm -hmm. then applying it to how we love America. And so if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you see Trump say that 
Like you have to call that what it is, which is to use a religious term, idolatry. It's encouraging people to worship a false God. Like that's, there's no other way around that. If you're a religious person, that's a deeply offensive anti-Jesus, anti-Bible thing to say. Wow. I didn't even think about it that way. Another thing that, that reminds me of, and something that I looked up today was a guy by the name of Wilhelm Frick. He was one of Adolf Hitler's buddies. He was the minister mm-hmm. of the interior. He took Hitler's orders to reteach history. And I quote, he said, quote, the purpose of history was to teach people that life was always dominated by struggle, that race and blood were central to everything that happened in the past, present and future, and that leadership determined the fate of peoples. Central themes in the new teaching include courage in battle, sacrifice for a greater cause, boundless admiration for the leader, and hatred of our enemies, the Jews, Mm. end quote. Of course, I'm drawing a parallel between Hitler and Trump is actually what I'm like, what he's saying. (laughs) Yeah. Right. The idea that he wants to teach, he wants to literally take schools and reteach history in a way that builds up the most nationalistic pride and take away all of the, the black marks and not teach those and not have critical race theory, I guess. Well, you just brought me all the way around. Wow. There it is. People are, are really afraid of critical race theory. And like, can it become divisive? Can it become um, unhelpful? Totally. All things in this world can mm. become unhelpful and divisive. Yeah. That is true. But at its base, critical race theory is attempting to view society through a critical lens that helps us understand what's happening and creates space for us to build something better and more equitable. And so like, if we really believe that America is an experiment that can become better, then critical race theory is actually a very helpful tool for evaluating our story, evaluating the cultural institutions that we have today and building a better world that is more equitable and just. It is not something to be so afraid of. And in fact, if you're afraid of, afraid of critical race theory, I actually think that proves that there's a problem because what are you trying to defend against? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, this is, this is different, but I always think it's funny when people get really mad as religious people about like cultural things that are like, quote unquote, anti-religious. And I'm always like, what are you so mad about? Like if your faith is secure and the God that you worship is like you're confident in, what is it that you are so concerned culture is going to challenge? And it feels similar with critical race theory. Like if you're so secure in your sense of yourself and your history, what are you concerned about in terms of this like approach to understanding history and society? It's like when I see my son's face, when I ask him a question and I know he's lying and he doesn't (laughs) want me to ask any more questions. He doesn't want me to look inside and keep asking more questions. And he's like, dad, I know nothing. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, you don't want me to ask any more questions. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask more questions. It's almost as if people who uh, are upset by critical race theory, they don't want us to look in depth. We don't want to look deeper into why the suburbs were made because we might find that it's not based on something that makes us feel good or makes us proud to be Mm -hmm. an American. And I guess that's a hard phrase for me. Mm. Pride in America. I don't know if I have the right to be proud. Mm. I didn't fight for my country. Mm. I believe that those who have probably have a right to be proud. I look at the country and our history and it saddens me, deeply saddens me. Am I thankful to be in America and American? Yes. Do I believe in the American 
narrative that we've set up, this set mm-hmm. of societal rules that are supposed to give us freedom or freedoms that make us not fear pain or pain of death. And I think those are being challenged. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel threatened by a man who wants to not look deeper mm-hmm. because I feel like all that is, is a, a way to tell us something and make us believe in a truth that's really derived from a politician. Yep. And can we believe politicians? Can we really believe them? I think the answer is no. no. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, totally. That's exactly right. And I, and I do think like where people can be afraid of critical race theory is does it homogenize? And I, by that, I just mean, does it tell one story of history? And, and the article that I that will post in the comments is it's an interesting take on it. It's like kind of going back and forth on its own wrestle with whether critical race theory is good or bad. And so I, I, it's, that's kind of why I liked it because I knew you were going to get more of a positive view from me. I think that like history is complicated and society Mm -hmm. is complicated. Mm -hmm. Critical race theory is a very powerful tool for understanding and opening up a lot of understanding of history. But I don't know that we would say it is only one dimensional. Like the story of America is also the story of hope. It's the story of dreams. It's the story of, of a lot of complicated, diverse realities that converge together And I think as humans who are trying to be intelligent and empathetic, we have to hold all of that that complicated reality together in our hands that America is a deeply racist, misogynistic, genophobic, Mm -hmm. uh, homophobic society, and yet also has these moments of deep beauty and hope and potentiality rolled up into that equation. Hmm. Well, wrapping up both of these subjects today, What do we do when our leaders fail us? Hmm. Where do we find hope? I think that we always have to remember that our leaders are always going to fail us. Uh, And I actually think that they are, even the best of them are set up to fail. Mm -hmm. So we find hope not in the singular individual who promises to redeem us and rescue us from our like crisis. We find hope in our collective empathy and work together. I've said this a lot, but like we go local and we find hope in one another, mm-hmm. not in the supreme leader. And is critical race theory Marxist? Should we not dive deeper into the subjects? I think it, that's insane to think that it is that way. I think that we should dive deeper and find out why things are the way they are. Mm-hmm. And I think we mm-hmm. should look and stand next to someone of, of a different color and say, what is your experience? Tell me your story. Mm-hmm. Let me hear that. Let me feel that. Guide me through this because my experience is this. Mm-hmm. And then we should like go arm in arm and try to make something better. Try to make something new. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Beautifully said. Thanks. Well, everyone, that ends our episode of Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. I have a new single coming out on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Download it, Spotify, uh, iTunes, anywhere where streaming services are sold. It's called I Am Alive. Napster. Download it and put it on the things on the on the uh, what are they called on the zunes on the zunes (laughs) the bit torrents. That's it. That's it. You listened. You did. (laughs) We did great. (laughs) Oh man, thanks for listening. I just don't. I don't know if I can wrap this episode up. I think you're gonna have to do it. Great. Well, that has been this episode of Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. 
Thank you so much for listening. Cool news. Christian has a single coming out this Friday. Is that yes. where it's at? No, this, this Friday. Tuesday. This Tuesday. That's that's right. Tuesdays are the days that you release things. I've learned. It's coming out on yes. Tuesday. You can find it wherever music is listened to or purchased or downloaded. Napster, iTunes, Spotify. Don't torn it though. Linktree slash Christian Surge. Great. Yeah, go. It's going to be awesome. You're going to want to listen to it and share it with all your friends. And then thank you for listening. You can follow us on Instagram. We have an Instagram account where you can engage with us more deeply. And you can follow both Christian and I online. We both have websites. We both have Instagrams that will be in the show notes wherever you listen to this. Where you can just click the link right there. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to a Smart Guy and a Dumb Guy production, a podcast exploring culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. See you next time.